0: So, what are your favorite books of the Bible? Like, I'm just curious, kind of across the room. You only get one. What's your favorite book of the Bible? James. John, Romans, James. James. Wow, James does not usually win the straw poll. All right, nice. Okay, anybody like the Old Testament at all? Genesis, like Genesis? Esther, Esther? Yes. Isaiah. Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Isaiah's good stuff. John. Joshua. Psalms. Psalms. Okay, Psalms is a late mention. I'm surprised. Psalms is for many, many people that'd be the top. Anybody else? Joshua. Joshua. That's a little random. Okay, just like it. Charlie, you like what you like. You know, what are you going to do about it? Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to look with you at a psalm. So John will be happy. The rest of you, you can just leave now, okay? It's just not going to be what you were hoping for. Um, How many of the psalms did David write? Forty or so. Forty or so? Anybody want to upscale 40 or so? Well, first of all, how many psalms are there?
1: 150,
0: 150. 150, right on the nose, 150 Psalms. David wrote about half. There's a couple we're not sure. He wrote at least 73, maybe 75. So half of them are David's, and one of them, did you know that one of the Psalms was written by Moses? David gets half, Moses gets one, but at least he gets one. Anybody know which one is the Psalm of Moses. Psalm 90. Oh, Dan, I just some of you guys have heard me talk about this, so this might be review, but it's okay. We learn by review. Psalm 90 is written by Moses, and I think it is a particularly good psalm for people that are in crisis, that are undergoing tragedy, people that are deeply disappointed. Does that ring a bell for any of you? Does anybody feel like the last six months have just not been what you thought it would be, and you're not sure what the next six months are going to be like? What do you think is going to happen to the college students? What you, really, what do, you, what do you think? Do you think Virginia Tech is coming home? Yeah. Yep. Do you think JMU is coming home? Do you think they're going to stay? I
1: think it does it worse. If you're there, you shouldn't send them back. Keep
0: well, I didn't say what do you think is best. I said what do you think is going to happen? These are not the same thing, right? I don't know. You think virtual. Our son is at the University of Hawaii, which sounds great. Doesn't that sound fantastic? And yet they're on like total lockdown. The whole they're back to what they what we had here is like the stay-at-home orders where you just you can't leave campus. When he got there, he was under quarantine for two weeks. He's in paradise, looking at it through a window, you know. And um, he he the the rules. It's just like it's happening at every university. The rules are so tight, so restrictive. My friend at Penn State said all that the campus crusade staff at Penn State they're not allowed on campus, and the group gathering size like the limit is two what what, what does that even mean right i mean there because you may have seen i don't know your facebook feed is gonna be different than mine but like at penn state the students were like life is good and they're just having all these you know gatherings and parties that were just a complete you know repudiation of everything and so the university they have a campaign that is very um very gently named mask up or pack up and they're basically telling all the Penn State kids, like, hey, listen, everybody shut it down or you're all going home. And so we're all just kind of waiting to see, like, are they all going home? And it's probably gonna be the case, I would think, that whatever happens at Tech is gonna be what happens at Penn State and whatnot. So it's a disappointing time. It's a difficult time. Um, and if even if it has nothing to do with COVID, it's probably the case that something else has uh, broken into your life. And in the midst of those, it's helpful. And very often... In the midst of those times, people turn to the Psalms because the Psalms are, so Dan likes Romans and I love Romans, but Romans is going to give you great theological argument, but it's not a terribly emotionally cuddly letter, right? Now, I think, I think things that are meaningful and deep and substantive actually in a lot of ways are more helpful for us in difficult times than things that are soft and mushy. Um, but the Psalms bring in not just an emotional line, not just something soft and mushy, but they bring in actual substance too. And so people whose hearts incline more to the feelings, they're more aware of their emotions, oftentimes love the Psalms. And people that aren't like that, once life becomes painful and difficult, they become like that and they find their ways to the Psalms. I didn't like the Psalms at all. For like the first 20 years I was a Christian until my life became difficult. And then I'm like, oh, look at this, what is, what is here? Flannery O'Connor, she's a, do you guys know Flannery O'Connor? Is she familiar to you? Catholic writer, fictional writer. She said this in one of her books. She said, where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going to never was there. And where you are is no good unless you can get away from it. Okay? (laughs) So, on that cheery note, we're going to look at Psalm 90. If you have it on your Bible, pull it up. Um, I'm going I'll read it to you, and I, I want to run through it. First thing, we're just gonna we're just gonna read it, and I just want you to hear it, just receive it, and then we're gonna kind of analyze it a little bit. And I think there's a lot of treasure in Psalm 90. So, first pass through, just listen. Here's what it says: Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Watch, this, watch the change, however. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. And we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And then one more pivot. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of our Lord of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, whenever you're studying the Psalms, whenever you're studying any part of the Bible, step one is just notice, okay? Do you guys, we've talked about this here. What, what's OIA stand for? Remember this? Three fundamental steps of Bible study, OIA. Do you know this? Step one is observe. Step two, interpret. Step three is Apply. Okay, but step one, observe. Just notice, be curious, look at it, pull it apart, just pay attention. doesn't matter if you understand what it means yet. All you want to do is just pay attention to the details. And when you come to Psalm 90, the first thing that I think you might want to do is just, well, I, I'm a, this, probably, this might vary person to person, but I like to see the macro structure. I like to see the sections. I like to see the groupings. How does this thing work? And so the first thing my eye tends to be drawn to is, like, okay, how do I, if I hit this thing with a hammer, where would it naturally break? Where are where the, where the divisions in it? And so let's do this. I have it for you. Um, can I get a couple guys to pass these out? Do you mind? A couple folks, run, run these around. Leeks, yeah. run around. William, okay. So take a group, take a group. That'd be great. I better keep one. William, thank you. All right. As these guys are passing it out, I'll tell you there's four main sections. The first one is only one verse, and it's actually verse zero. The second section it's two verses, verses one and two, and then uh, what's the next chunk? Three to eleven and twelve to seventeen. You should see that if, once you get your paper, you can kind of see it broken up. And as far as verse zero, um, sometimes in your Bible you'll have like headings, like the NIV heading will say, you know, like this is what's going on. It gives these little descriptions. In the Psalms, that and th- those are all added by human beings. Those are added later on. Some, you know, somebody in 1967 thought it might be helpful to put in a subdivision. Verse zero in the Psalms is not that. It's Bible. It's part of it. It's part of the original text. It's part of the manuscript. So what we would call verse zero is, or sometimes you just call it the, uh, what do they call it, the subscript or there's some little term for it. But so when it says Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, that's part of it, okay? And that's our first section. So let's think about this. So, so Moses is writing a Psalm. He only gets one, but he writes a Psalm and it's about Dealing with life when life is profoundly disappointing. So don't sweat the psalm for a second. Let's just think Moses. If Moses were to write a psalm about being deeply disappointed, what experiences in his life do you think he would draw from? What is he's, what's he got going on? Did I hear something? Never being able to go into the promised land would be a good one. That's gotta be number one, Robin. Robin says, never being able to go into the promised land. Cat, what were you gonna say? Yeah, and that was the whole thing was a mess, and that's that's pretty much going to be that's going to be the span. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but Moses is the guy that God raises up to lead the people out of their slavery in Egypt, and for 40 years, for 40 years. Okay, it's it's it's, what is it? It's like a three week walk, but they blow it along the way, and God's like, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk. You're going to walk around the desert following this general pattern until all of you who didn't trust me, all of you who refused to just trust my goodness for you when all of you are dead then your children will walk into the land okay so for 40 years they're walking around the desert waiting for all the everybody else to die and when they finally get to they finally get there, they finally get to the border and it's time to go in Moses doesn't get to go in he leads the people through all this thing but they don't get to go in robin why why not what what happens that Moses doesn't get to go That's right, he lost his temper and he struck a rock. They have been out in the desert and that God had provided for the people through a variety of different means, bread from heaven, this storm of quail come in, this couple of different times that rocks provide water and Moses was fed up with the people, right, Cat, He got tired of dealing with them all and he hit, God says, speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water and he just smashes it with a stick and God's like, that's it, no more, you didn't honor me and for what probably looks like pretty relatively insignificant infraction, From our vantage point, he is forbidden to go into the land. He brings them there. He faithfully leads them, but he can't step in. And that had to be one of the great disappointments of his life. Can you imagine if you're building a company, you're, uh, you know, anything that you're doing, some great enterprise, and you bring this thing right up to the edge, but then others get to do it and you don't. It's a difficult thing, okay? So that's probably up there. What what else would be in Moses' life that are deep disappointments? Don? When he comes down from the mountain, yeah. He sees what the people are doing. yeah, so he's, so it's relatively, this is kind of the other, these are kind of the bookends of his story, essentially, pretty early on, when God God calls Moses up on a mountain to give them the law, to reveal his will to them, and he comes back down, so he goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, um, and by Exodus 32, there's this famous scene where he comes down, and everybody's like, well, I don't know where Moses has been, it's been like, yeah, we're, we're probably done here with him, and so they... They take all their gold and they make a golden calf. They make a cow to worship because I don't know Yahweh hasn't been around for a little while. Moses is gone. Let's just start worshiping cows, right? And then you remember? Do you remember when uh, when Moses confronts Aaron for his leadership in this? Remember his response? Remember what he says? It jumped, out. it jumped out. Yeah, you know we took. Okay, I will confess. It's like I will admit we did collect everybody's gold earrings and we did throw them into the furnace. But the cow thing, man, that was not on us. The cow just jumped out of the furnace and, and we began to worship it, you know. Just ludicrous. Just completely absurd and and they're not having it. And for Moses, yes, these, these are, pr- I would say, you guys are right, these are probably the two greatest disappointments that he faces. Like, I'm leading this people and it's a mess. And what he, what he says here, uh, God actually gets so angry with the people that he's like, you know what, I'm going to wipe them out, okay. These are the descendants of Abraham. I made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to, you know establishes people but enough of that stand back we'll kill them all and then you'll be the new abraham we're going to make a new line of people from the people of moses and that that will be my people and and moses says god may it never be you made a promise to your people and of course he's not going to do it but but there's this enormous moment of great great difficulty and it is probably the case that w- w- that this psalm is a reflection on those two things, and if you wanted to test that theory, um, the 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 great disappointment with the whole with the people not worshiping is Exodus thirty two, and those chapters surrounding that, and then Deuteronomy thirty two is where he gets barred from the Promised Land. Also Numbers twenty, Deuteronomy is a recap of of all those things. But Exodus thirty two and Numbers thirty two, if you do this, take a look at the back of your of your document here. If you look at this, it's really very very stunning. These passages here, Exodus, around Exodus 32 and around Deuteronomy 32, these lines from those books all show up in, in Psalm 90. So if you go through, it might, be, it might make for an interesting quiet time. Massey was talking about how the key of this whole thing is that you're going to spend time alone, you and Jesus. And if you're not sure what to do this week in your times alone with you and Jesus, you might read through Psalm 90, maybe, maybe have this one printed out for you. And then go through Exodus 31 to 34, that, that section, 32 to 34, and then Deuteronomy, that same, that same uh, passage. And just note all the verbal similarities. And it really does seem that when, when this psalm, Psalm 90 of Moses, is a reflection on the deep disappointment in those two things. And it might be helpful. I always think it's useful um, when we build the bridges in the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, from one passage to another. So take a look at that. That might might be a curious thing to see. But as we go through it, just bear in mind, this is, this is Moses' reflections on disappointment, okay? So that's verse zero. Ready? First section. What's the second section of Psalm 90? One and two. What is it, Stuart? One and, two. one and two, baby, okay? Now listen to this, because this is good news. "'Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations.'" before the mountains were brought forth you had ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god okay what's the impact of that what's the emotional flavor of that what's what's the what's the gestalt of these two verses it's the, the 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 tone the tenor of it you are our essence you are our essence excellent Alpha and omega, so beginning and end, right? And the whole thing has a sense of, like, his, his permanence, his dependability, his reliability, his solidness, right? From from uh, everlasting to everlasting, as, as Don says, alpha to omega, from A to Z, you're it. Before the, You're stronger than the mountains. I mentioned to you guys recently that I was out in, uh, where was I, Wyoming? Where the heck are the Tetons in Yellowstone? Wyoming, Montana, somewhere there. And... Uh, And we're at the Tetons, and they're huge. Who's been to the Tetons? Seeing this, right? It's glorious, right? Kind of just rising out of the valley like nothing is. These giant things. And that's the image that Moses is invoking here, right? That before the mountains were brought forth, before anything, you are God. You are bigger, older, stronger than the mountains. And so the psalm begins. Okay, we're talking about Moses. Think about these deep disappointments. We're, We're recognizing the solidness of the Father, and then that's going to serve as a foil. That's the backdrop against which we look at everything else. Watch how quickly it changes. Second sec or third section. It says, you return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. Right? So he, if he is the mountain, if he is the Tetons, if he is a giant rock, you're You're dust. And we come and we go and it blows away. And we're seeing what he's setting up this great contrast from what he is to what we are. And some days you experience your dustiness more than others. This whole section, this third section, is all about the fragility of life, the brokenness of life. Just listen, listen again to the language of it. Let the imagery kind of capture that life is hard. Sometimes it's very disappointing. Sometimes it's actually quite terrible. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or else as a watch in the night. You sweep them away. You hear the transience to that? It's like blink and it's gone. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, it's a vapor, like a grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening, it fades and withers. Sometimes you wake up and it's a great day. And by evening, it's not great anymore. But in any case, we are all passing away. We're brought in. But look at this. Now it gets personal. Verse 7. We're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80 yet their span is but toil and trouble they're soon gone and we fly away who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. He's starting here. As he really gets into his argument, okay, Moses writes it, God is permanent. But Now let's look at the human experience. And he takes a really sober view of it. And he slows the train down and says, let's, let's take a look. This is an important step, you guys. I think if we're going to make it through a life where these things are accurate, then we need to be able to actually look at the disappointments and see those things. And what, what the psalm is doing, I think, is giving us a pattern to engage the reality, to acknowledge, to notice it, to acknowledge it, to recognize that it's true, but then to respond to it. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to look at some of the particulars here. But having said all of that, now what he wants us to do is respond to it. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Life is, how does it go? Something like, life is brutish. and What is that? some little quote about brutal and short or brutish and short? brutish nasty and short right that's the first half that's that's true but now we respond to it and again we're going to unpack all this more fully that's the first thing i wanted to soak you in the text so here's the response verse 12 so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and then five things five requests we'll unpack in a minute return O lord how long have pity on your servants satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. First half, he's acknowledging what life is. The second half, he's like, how do we respond to it? And I think the framework reminds me, and I put it in your notes here, it's, it's 2 Corinthians 6 where Paul says that we must accept the painfulness of the world, right? That we are, always, we are sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Some of you are given to the sorrowful. You get the sorrowful thing and it's really easy for you to sit in the soup that is misery and sadness. Others of you... They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't have time for that. Let's, let's be happy all the day. Tra-la-la, tra-la-la, let's just live this happy life. My favorite book is David Copperfield, and there's a movie out now that's David Copperfield. I don't know if they're going to do a good job, so I can't recommend it yet. The book is glorious. But there's a character in, in David Copperfield. Her name is Dora, and she is pretty, 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 and dumb, 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 dumb. And David just absolutely falls in love with her. And her take on life her father is very wealthy and she just she's just this pretty little idiot and she just wants to sing all day long and david is captivated by her and she has no substance at all right and she just wants to be happy right and so whether you are you know you send all your days scraping your wounds in the mud pot but you can't see the joy that's not that's not a helpful place to be but if you're just dora it's not a good place to be. What we want to have, if we're going to be emotionally healthy whole people, it's got to be both. You've got to be able to look and see the badness and the brokenness of the world, and yet there must be, so we're sorrowful, and yet there must be the ability to rejoice in the midst, to have to have a defiant joy that will embrace reality. That, and that's what this psalm is trying to prepare us for, to look at the reality... And to acknowledge the future reality that is going to be all glorious and kind of live in there. And you might even find in your own life different seasons that you're drawn to one half or the other. What I think Moses is pointing us to here is the whole picture. So. With that said, take a look at the first half. and I'd love to hear this. There's a lot, of, a lot of loose threads to this that we can pull on. And I'm curious if anything strikes you in particular as you're interacting and thinking maybe for the first time or maybe you've been over this many times. Psalm 90 Anything catches your eye or intriguing to you or that you have questions about? Reminds you of anything? Just, the, just stay, in the, stay in the bad half for the moment. I think about aging. You think about aging, right? And that's it. I mean, I I remember hearing Tim Keller say one thing. I can say without question is that there's an enormous amount of death in your future. Okay, (laughs) that either you're going to live and everybody around you is going to die. Your parents are going to die. Your friends. You know, your your high your college reunions are going to get smaller and smaller, right? Or you're going to die. But one way or another, this is just the reality of our lives, and we watch it happen. We watch it. Um, you know, so Kelly and I are at the point where our parents are, my father has died, my mom's in a nursing home, Kelly's parents are still living independently, but, but they're all, you know, in their upper 70s, and it just gets more difficult to watch the difficulties of their life. Aging's, aging is a real thing. And so, yes, that, that, that flavor is one of these things that is a disappointment to us, that we will not be young forever, for sure. Yeah. What else? Anything strikes you here? Or do you recognize other places? The, te- the New Testament quotes this. I wonder if you recognize where that is. If you see any echoes, yeah. Exactly right. This is where Peter gets it. So it's like that it's, we know that phrase, right? Did you? Did anybody hear that? Does that sound familiar to you? That a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday when it's past, or watching the night. Peter quotes this. Says a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. That's Psalm ninety, right? So what's What, what is the meaning of that? A thousand years in your sight are like a day. What, what is what is he saying here? What's the what's the point of that image, as, as as Psalm ninety uses it? No watches in heaven. Okay. Well, there's no watches in heaven. Yes, and, but what does that mean here? What is what is what's the impact of that in this in this song? What does it mean? As a thou- for a thousand years are in your sight, eras, but yesterday when it's passed, or a watch in the night.
1: Go go real loud, Kelly. But he's- bigger than time. He's longer than time. So for him, a thousand years is like that. And so if that's true for him, how, how finite
0: are we? How fleeting, yes, absolutely. There used to be a, there was a Michael Card lyric, a song that I loved when I was in college. Uh, and it says something like, um, uh, how does it go? Those who belong to eternity but are stranded in time, right? So there's this image, and Augustine makes much of this, that God has placed eternity in our hearts... Right? We long for this, and yet the clock is ticking, always ticking, and it's almost over. It's quick, it's quick, it's quick. So in the, in, the, in the contrast of God's, God has never been in a hurry. He has no finiteness of time, but I experience the finiteness of time perpetually. My favorite thing in the world is my time, and if you waste it, I don't like you anymore, okay? This is just a reality. The time is it's just, I can feel, I hear every tick of the clock, and they're going quick. And that's, that's really what, he, what he's saying here. Lily, did you want to add to that? No. Oh, Bill, no, good. oh no, Bill. Lily. This you. me of the song, uh, We Are a Moment, You Are Forever. Yes, that's it. Yep, You're a Moment, We Are Forever, or, or vice versa. We are a Moment, You're Forever. Okay, anything else? First half. Yeah, Suzanne. absolutely it is no question that there is meant to be a this, this psalm is full of contrasts they're not all super obvious this one's pretty much pretty much bare on the page there's the permanence of God and the transience of man and that's what he's going after Kelly but more than just It's the brutish and nasty part. The short is clear, but those short days are brutish and nasty. And, that, and that's it. And not just, not just in some random way, but it's actually under the hand of God. You sweep them away as with a the flood. They're like a dream, right? We're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. We've, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence, right so he's saying listen life is hard and a lot of the time the reason it's hard is because of you right that's that's a little bit of a tricky message here robin it
1: makes me think of the judgment on adam and eve when god said what their days would be like
0: yes and and, and Yes, so what, what Robin is saying rightly is this really com- it points all back to Genesis, that when the fall broke the world, everything was crumbling. And he says this. He says, ver- this is essentially what's going on in verse um, 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Like, how many of us recognize that the reality is that we live our lives under a state of condemnation and everything everything is grace on top of that we don't deserve like it's the you know if you show up to the party and you feel entitled to everything then every slight disappointment just feels like you're getting ripped off but if you recognize that i don't actually deserve anything and that every day is a gift then it's a very different perspective he's like who thinks that way we all think like if i get a speeding ticket i feel like the injustice of the universe must be righted but you are speeding you know right and so if we if we recognize that that at a baseline I don't deserve any of these things but he's showered me with gift upon gift upon gift it's a vastly different kind of vantage point to take and that's I think part of what it is that he's trying to draw us to right okay what else first half we want we want to have time for the second half but Jose like you think- Yeah. And so there's not a lot of like owning up to the fact that we are yeah. the cause of all of it. Yes, that's right. And so, isn't that interesting? So if, if I do something wrong and then you bust me, well, the problem here is that you busted me, not the problem that I did something wrong, right? And isn't that, isn't that the way that we tend to be? And you, I mean, it, it's almost impossible to avoid this, but whenever you get in trouble, it's very, very easy to just be mad at the enforcer of it and to not recognize, well, I knew what the rules were, and I chose not to follow them, and we, and we break down. And he's, so this psalm, he's trying to, like, get into this human psyche of, like, when the world is painful and the world is difficult, I want to blame others. Sometimes it's my fault, right? But, of course, it's not always my fault. It's not. Sometimes life is just full of disappointment. And I would guess that Moses really struggled. Like, okay, yeah, so I hit the rock, but sheesh, Right? It feels like a pretty strong reaction to that. And perhaps he's, he's processing through these great, these great disappointments as well. Okay, anything else? First half. One more key observation you want to throw out there. Anything. There's lots of stuff here. We don't have time to fully unpack, but something that captures you. No, no, no. One thing that um, nobody mentioned, but a lot of folks have seen this before. This is reminiscent of Isaiah 40. Is, is Isaiah 40 meaningful to you? Do you know this text? So this, In fact, let's just go there for just a second. It's worth kind of like drawing a line to this. Isaiah 40, you might recognize it if you hear it. It is similar to this in that it gives um, just an exalted picture of this, the permanence and the transcendence of God above all things. It has a similar kind of flavor to it um we'll just jump in it goes on and on but we could jump in at verse say 12 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with a span or enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance hear how he's like he can weigh the tetons like i can just look up at them but he can like he could just turn them to dust if he chose to do right who's measured the spirit of the lord shown Or what man shows him? I cannot read ESV. It's just not worth it. Okay, verse 14. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Again, mountains versus dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. Nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. Seeing how silly it is that we make these golden calves, right? Verse 20 A man too poor to present selects wood that will not rot. Can you imagine the best you can do is wood that doesn't rot? That's your claim to fame. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol. Verse 21, Did you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He is big, we are small. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings the princes to naught. Again, Psalm 90. And he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing no sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. You hear all that? That's the grass withers, the flowers fade, all this stuff. Okay, so Psalm 90 and Isaiah 40, that might be another thing that might be worth it. Let's go through line by line. You're just building in your mind an understanding of the world as God sees it. Yeah, Bill. It
1: reminded me a little bit of Job, too, when God
0: finally... Yes, yes, so Job's got the same thing. So Job's lamenting, and he's complaining, and everything's terrible, and it is. He's suffering. His suffering is real, and God's response is essentially, what would, how would you summarize God's final response in like a sentence?
1: Basically, I am.
0: Yeah, made, where were you? I invented ostriches, man. Like, who are you to talk back to me? And that's really what he's, what he's saying. He stores up the hail, and, he, and, he's, and he's grand, and he's great over all things. Okay, so here's where the rubber meets the road. So we take a look and we say, yeah, life is difficult. And I am culpable, but man, it is painful. And sometimes I just don't like it. And so what do I do when I'm me and I've got my own culpability and my own deep disappointments? What are we to do? And then what Moses offers us, and this is something I would love you to memorize this, to capture this. In fact, Dan, can you, without looking, can you give me five words? For the second half, do you remember? I'm totally putting you on the spot, and it's okay if you can't. No, I can't. You can't. <laughs> Dang it. All right. I bet Linda could, but I won't put her on the spot, okay? So here, memorize five words, okay? And they're, they're going to be, I'll give them to you first, and then we'll kind of unpack them. But this would be something that are worth worth capturing. Here, here's your five. Return. Say return. Satisfy. Satisfy. Gladden. gladden. Show, show. Establish. In all seriousness, this would be something worth just tucking away in your head because even if you're like, you know, coach, move everything's fine. My stocks have completely rebounded and all is well. Tomorrow's still coming, right? These five things, these five words, these are the five things that that the wise pray for in tragedy. And it's a really handy little thing to keep in your pocket. Five things that we pray for in tragedy, okay? Look at verse 12. Teach us to number our days. You've heard that phrase before, right? Teach us to number our days. That's Psalm 90. You may not have ever known where that came from. That's the Bible. That's Psalm ninety twelve. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, that means two things, okay? At the surface level, what does that mean? There's like an obvious meaning and then a little bit deeper meaning. What does it mean to number our days? Just in the most literal, obvious
1: sense.
0: Uh, That's the second sense. The first. Yeah, but but literally, what is there's a first? You guys are you guys are too smart. (laughs) That's right. Know that it's a limit, right? Know that you're you're. I don't know. How old are you? How how old are you gonna be when you die? Some of you gonna be 50. Some of you gonna be 60. Somebody's 70. 70 years, maybe 80. And that's exactly what he says. Some of you 70, but maybe by strength 80. That's right. That's it. So, so get this. The clock is ticking. Number your days. You know. Like your day is coming. You're going to be dead before too long. OK? So grasp. Step one is understand this. You get a finite season. It's brief and it's closing, right? It's finite. Click, 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 know that. But then the second sense is what you guys were just intuitively, what is it? What, but so what about that? Value each day. Value each day, right? So you could say it's short, panic, but what he's saying is it's short, so make the most of the moment. So what do I do? How do I have the how do I wring the greatest value out of a life that is nasty, brutish, and short? What do I do in this world? It's a world just punctuated with sorrow, just filled with sadness, and it's coming to an end quickly. What do I do in light of that? And this is where he gives us five things. And he presents them as requests. These are the things, Rachel. Pray for this. Pray for this. Pray for this. By the way, nice job, boys. That was amazing. Good job, Mom and Dad. Although I will say, did you guys notice, Rachel proved that she's memorized the alphabet, but her children have memorized the Bible. So your kids are owning you on this, okay? So, I mean, that was good. It would have been a little more impressive if the kids did the alphabet and you could rattle off that Bible, but we'll we'll see. That That was fantastic. Okay, so... Here's the five things. Number one. Oh, and by the way, notice I color-coded this for you. Did you notice this? All, there's all of these terms in the first half that show up with different meaning in the second half. So he's designed the psalm, right, to, de- to, to, to the second half links to the first half, but he keeps flipping things and inverting things and, and drawing us around. So when you see those little colors, color tags, notice this, right? So we return to dust... But in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on us. This is very similar to what Mike was talking about this morning in John 15. So you're you're undergoing tragedy. You're in suffering. You're in loss. You're disappointed. You're feeling your life is lived under the judgment of God. What's the first thing we ask for? Lord, come to me. Return to me. What I need more than anything else is you, okay? Now, it sure seems like what I really need is a job. What it really sure seems like is I need a, a better diagnosis or prognosis. But step one is return to me. I need you. Kelly Sue. Um, you did you did mention this with first zero, but in the
1: NIV, there's also...
0: Oh, yes, yes, we should talk about that. Okay, take off your mask. Can you just explain just a, a brief minute what, what's significant about the bookageness of the Psalms? That's a really, I'm glad you pointed that out.
1: So sometimes it's hard to see the
0: Important and, and not all that known. She, Kelly's right. Like so, Psalm zero or Psalm verse zero—that matters. That's part of the text, and the divisions matter. So this is Book Four, um, which we tend to be unaware of. So the Psalms aren't just 150 Psalms randomly thrown together, but there's a, there's an order. There's a, there's a development through it. Book three is a downer. Book 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 three is full of like, well, it, it, Book three contains and it ends almost ends with like the darkest, saddest Psalm of all. Do you know what this is? Do you know what the most depressed? Say it again. Uh, Close. 88. 88. It's 88. Psalm 88, you guys. Super, super, super downer, okay? So, very close, Jose. Psalm 88. I mean, here's how it ends. Verse 14. Lord, why do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. I've suffered your terrors. I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me all day long. They surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. End. That's it. Praise God. Right? <laughs> so, okay, this is book three. The, the, and so book three is like everything's terrible and it's miserable, but then Psalm not Psalm 4, book 4, which is what Psalm 90 is the gateway to, begins to be the reflection on this. And something I learned from Kelly a long time ago, well, I don't know, five years ago, um, life is short, right, was uh, that the Psalms have this paradigm of there's orientation where everything's great, and then there's disorientation where you're like, oh, actually, everything's terrible, and then there's reorientation where you're like, okay, things aren't so great as I thought they were, but God is good and all is going to work out. And that, that, that paradigm is really helpful. Some, some, sometimes if you read like the Pollyanna Psalms, the Psalms of Orientation, you're like, oh, it's just not that great, you know? It's just not. I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I can't say these things that you're saying right now because everything's not that great. But then if you read Psalm 88, then you're like, oh gosh, like everything's horrible. But then there's this reorientation. And so as we get into book four, which is what Psalm 90 is, it's kind of moving us into this reorientation where the, the idealism that maybe we started with That's kind of, the bloom is off the rose a little bit. And then you move into this phase of just depression and everything's terrible. But then there's this, you come around, you come full circle, and you're able to look at the world as it actually is and praise God for his goodness and his ultimate purposes through a path of pain. And so those book things, it's it's helpful to know as you're reading through the Psalms, there is a a development and a sequence to it. Um, It may not be super obvious in the beginning, but it's actually present. So book four, Psalm 90 opens us up. Anything else that I didn't capture in your comments worth saying on Mike? Uh,
1: no, just that this is the point where where Moses is, has accepted the pain and the trouble and the toil, but he's renewing his hope.
0: And That's right. God, you're
1: still sovereign. You're still, and we are still your
0: people. That's right. Excellent. So, draw us back. so that, that moment of where we accept what is, but we're still filled with hope. And that is when we say... Lord, return to us, right? I long for you and I want to be with you. And what I really need most of all is you. Okay, so return. Number two, satisfy. Now, think Moses. Read verse 13 and think Moses, or verse 14. And think Moses. What is he, what is he thinking of? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Can you run that through a Moses filter? Manna. It's totally manna, right? So what Moses has this experience of being satisfied in the morning because every day you go out and there's bread on the ground. But what's the what's the crazy thing about the manna, you guys? It only lasts for one day. It only lasts for one day. It's day after day. Now what we want is like, Lord, give it to me all up front, give me everything now. I just want it in the bank. I want it in the fridge. I want it ready to go. But that's not the way this game goes, right? Every day, morning by morning, give me enough. For one, give me one more day's worth. Give me one more day's worth. So our prayer request first is, Lord, return to me, because what I need is you. What I really, really, really want is for you to actually physically come back to the earth and make everything amazing. That'd be great. But in the meantime, return to me. If you don't return to the earth yet, return to me. Number two, satisfy me, morning by morning, with your steadfast love. There's a. Um, do you guys know Shane and Shane? Shoot, we're almost out of time. Do you know Shane and Shane? He's got a great they, he, they, Shane and Shane have a song based on Psalm 90. They titled it Psalm 90. Um, And just go to YouTube and just look for Psalm 90, Shane and Shane. And this is kind of the refrain of the song. Satisfy us, right? When the sun comes up, satisfy us before our heart forgets all your goodness. Every day, return to me, Lord. Satisfy me with your love. Third one. I love because I like to fight about this. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Your word is gladden. Lord, return to us, satisfy us, and make us glad. Um, There's a strange little weird thing, that error that slipped into Christianity about 100 years ago, that God doesn't want us to be happy And it's completely ludicrous that there is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is unworthy. And happiness is worldly. But joy, whatever that is, is biblical and godly and is okay. So you just shouldn't want to be happy. don't want to be, Jennifer, don't seek happiness. Instead, seek joy, okay? Sounds lovely. Sounds Christian. It's total garbage. It's absolute garbage. Nonsense. The Bible is indiscriminate in its use of joy, happiness, gladness. What it's talking about is actual happiness, real joy, real delight, real mirth. Lord, make me actually happy. Not just like stoic, like thank you, I'm not interested in that, but make me actually happy. And it's a world, as we know, full of sadness. So how can we be actually happy? Well, we're complex emotional creatures, and the anticipation of real happiness in the future floods back into the present to bring real happiness now even though it is intermixed with deep and abiding sadness they're both and we're invited to real joy yeah jennifer
1: i just noticed it even says make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us so he wants a balance
0: between that's right that's right and at, at a certain level you can see there's there's a modestness to that he's basically saying lord can we break even you know can we at least like this has been rough? Can we at least balance the scales? Does it, this there's a famous biblical image um, that captures the same idea? Do you know what it is? The idea of breaking image, make it good for as many days as it was bad. It's in the Minor Prophets.
1: With the forty
0: years, forty days? Yeah. Okay. No. Will's got. It. Yeah. The years the locusts have eaten. Right. So Joel is one of the Minor Prophets, and his primary kind of image of judgment is the locusts, and his prayer is, Lord, would you restore? The year, or no, actually, it's not a request, it's a promise, I think. It's the Lord says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. All that was devastated will come back, and it's an invitation to joy. And if you don't believe me, I, I would, we could talk about this at another time, I don't have time now, but the gladness thing, you guys, it's real, I promise you, the invitation is to real happiness. Psalm 16, we'll jot that one down. Psalm 16 is maybe the clearest psalm of joy. That we're, he, we're, he's inviting us to real happiness. So number one, return to us. Number two, satisfy us, but it's only going to be a little at a time. It's morning by morning. Number three, make us glad. Would you bring real happiness? Number four, verse sixteen, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. I like this one because this one is hard, this one is important to me. What does that mean? Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. What do you think that means? Lily? I think it is. We want to see what God is doing. Yes. And not just trust Him. That's right. But take part in it. Yeah, I want What are you doing, Lord? I, this makes no sense. I don't get this. I hate this. It's chaotic. The world is spinning out of control and no good could come of this. But Lord, would you show me like, would you reveal, would you pull back the darkness on this? Because, like, I want to see how this works. Someday, I think, the day will come that we will be able to say, Lord, all your ways are just and true. No asterisks. Would you get me to there? Would you show me? Because right now I got, like, asterisks like you wouldn't believe. Right? Show me. I want to see how this is your plan. Reveal it to me. Jose? I think
1: through the part
0: absolutely yeah i mean john says that we have no greater joy than to know that our children are walking in the truth right there's literally nothing that you would rather have that you i don't think maybe at least for me that my kids would all walk with him and know him right and so what do we long more large? make it manifest make it obvious make it plain that we might see it all right so number one kelly sue i like what lily said about
1: in showing your work shows how we
0: That's right. All right, So let's go. Let's go to the final one, and then we'll, we'll we'll tie them all back together. So number one, what was the first one? What's the what are what are the, what are the, what are the wise pray for in the midst of tragedy? Return. Number two, satisfied, but it's going to be fleeting. All right. So get it again tomorrow. Return. Satisfied. Number three, gladden. gladden. Can you actually? Can we break even? Bring happiness to counteract the sadness. Number four, show me. Show me reveal. Let me see this. And then number five is establish. Establish the work of our hands. What, what, is the, what does that mean? What is, that, what is the essence of the cry that you would establish the work of my hands? What are you longing for in that? Long lasting, what Robin? Lasting, yes. It's, so we're back. Remember this whole, this whole game started with permanence and then we're dust and, and it's gone. But by the time he in the game, but Lord, could something that I do still matter in 10 years? In a hundred years, in a million years, could it be that the work that I'm doing would you establish this? That we like, we long for permanence, right? We have a sense of our fleetingness. Can anybody name their great grandparents? Okay, your great grandchildren won't have any idea who you are. Okay, they won't care. Is there anything that you can do? That will, that will actually endure. In a world that's like, you know, we're just going to mow it down. The business was fine, but it's over, it's gone. Can anything be permanent? It's, there's a line in Hamilton, God help and forgive me, I want to build something that's going to outlive me. There we go. I knew Heather could get, could get it, right? There's this longing for permanence. Could something matter? Could I do something? Is there anything I could do in these 70 or 80 years that'll still matter in 70 or 80,000 years? Can anything I do Survive the jump from time to eternity. Lord, I want my life to matter. Will there be people in a billion years that are singing your praises, delighting in their grace because I influenced them today to mark their life? Lord, could anything make the jump and survive? These are the five things we pray for in the midst of tragedy. Number one, what is it? Return. Return to me, Lord. Number two, satisfy me day by day. Number three. Glad and would you bring joy into my life? Four, show. show me. Let me see what you've done. And number five, Seven. and the only way we're going to be, as Kelly was saying, the only way that our stuff's going to survive and make the jump is that we've aligned it with His purposes. That we know what He's doing, and we're trusting Him. Him, we're treasuring Him. That's it. Psalm 90. All right. So we're out of time. We got to stop. Good thing for you to go back and reread. Deal with deal with the sorrowfulness of the world. He'd always be rejoicing. I think Psalm 90's got good value here for us. So take a look at that, and we'll talk more next week. All right, see you, friends.